0: I'm a brand podcaster in the accounting, finance, and fintech space. Our flagship show, Accounting Influencers, is now one of the world's leading podcasts in this genre. And there's a number of spin-off shows over the years. This particular show is now focusing on talent, which, let's face it, is one of the biggest challenges for the accounting world at the moment. And the format stays the same. I interview the experts, the influencers, and the leaders in many different aspects of culture, talent, Employer brand succession, talent attraction, retention, soft skills, accounting credentials, qualifications, leadership, mental well-being, the brand of the profession, employee value propositions, employee engagement, increasing capacity and headcount in accounting firms, career development, and the usual HR, Atlen and Development, DEI, the great resignation, a ton of other talent-related issues in accounting. And whether you're hiring or being hired, happy where you are or considering a move, leading or following, employed or self-employed, totally skilled up and super employable or needing to refresh your skills, sharpen your personal brand, this is the perfect podcast for you accounting, finance and tech professionals to stay competitive, relevant and informed about all things talent in accounting. So let's get moving with today's show. Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting, brought to you by Advanced Track. Welcome to the Influencers in Accounting podcast with me, Rob Brown. On behalf of the Accounting Influencers podcast network, we are live with part two of a series we're doing with Isaac Heller. If you checked him out last time, CEO and co-founder of Trulian, we talked about artificial intelligence in the accounting world. And we're getting him back today. He was a very popular guest and talking about private equity money and venture capital in accounting and fintech. Isaac, welcome to you. Thanks, Rob. Good to see you again. Isaac, for people that didn't listen to that first show, just tell us real briefly what
1: you and Trillian do. Uh, so Trillian is AI-powered accounting technology. Uh, we're a platform that connects CFOs, controllers, and auditors in you know, one nice single source of truth. We automate workflows from lease accounting, revenue recognition, and many more. And uh, we're around the world. We've got a very, very nice company, coincidentally,
0: private equity, venture backed, and um, hundreds of customers globally. I was going to ask you, what gives you any authority to speak on private equity and venture capital in accounting? But you've nailed it right there. So just give us an overview of this world, because we're seeing it more and more. There's a lot of consolidation, merger, and acquisition activity, private equity, venture capital money is coming into accounting and fintech. What's it all about? Give us some context.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, let's start at the top in in the public markets. Um, You've got some fantastic public companies, both in the finance and accounting space. Recent examples like Bill.com, larger upmarket examples like Workiva are all publicly listed and trading at nice multiples. Um, Those multiples have been corrected in the past you know, six months to a year. They were extremely high um, in, in mid of 2021. And now they're sort of correcting. Um, if you go into the mid-market, more growth equity, what you're seeing is a lot of private equity buyouts. So private equity firms, taking uh, companies like Anaplan and FP&A tool, private, Avalara, very popular tax software going private. Um, so you're seeing some privatization of those companies. We'll see how that turns out. And then in the early stage, which is where we play, You see a lot of venture capital and early stage private equity flowing into the next gen of CFO and accounting tools. So it's
0: an exciting time. Well, What is it about accounting software and accounting firms that attracts the private equity money and the venture capitalists? They must be seeing something in this.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, at the highest level, they're um, value creation experts or capitalists, depending on on who you talk to, and probably both. Differentiate those two for us a little bit, Isaac. Yeah, look, I think venture capital is a lot more on on value creation seekers, meaning they're looking for entrepreneurs and early stage companies that are almost naively focused on value creation um, at the early stage. So that could be very, very um, product um, driven and a lot more new ideas that haven't been tested. Um, On the growth equity and private equity side, They're looking for value creation in a more um, capitalist way, which means you see companies that are operating well, and you also see a market of CFOs and controllers and accounting managers and mature companies that are adopting that software. And if that company could operate more efficiently, whether it's internal operations or go to market a little bit better, well, they've got a really strong demand for their product. So they all look at both of these angles, but some focus on it a little more than the others, depending on their stage of investment.
0: Yeah, well, you're a fintech, you're a software company. You talk to accountants all the time. Is there a difference between investing in an accounting firm and investing in a fintech company in terms of value creation?
1: Yeah, totally, there's a there's a lot of differences. I, I would, Look, again, we come from the software angle, right? And so obviously investing in an accounting firm, if we go there, that's investing in a services company. And so there are private equity firms that are buying up accounting firms and in some cases, rolling them up under one umbrella. So that's sort of M&A through synergies, um, you know, through these through these accounting firms, maybe picking up some geographies to give them a broader reach. But that's all about monthly recurring revenue, isn't it? That's that's the golden ticket. guess what? Fun fact, uh, accounting firms were some of the pioneers of recurring revenues. You know, when you sign up for your audit, that could be a three, four five year engagement. The subscription economy, as they say. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, the challenge there is margins, right? And and how much it actually costs to perform the audit service, which is largely based off people, smart people that have to do those audits. Now we move over to technology side. And so your question about kind of accounting versus fintech, the way I see it is there's fintech and early stage accounting softwares. That can scale really really fast and those are let's call it like an smb software so bill.com which acquired divi which was an expense management software that grew really really, really fast um, and other fintech software like an expense management tool like brex or ramp that can scale really really fast and kind of touch the accounting and finance space we play a little bit more in the true uh, enterprise accounting SaaS vertical which is a little bit heavier for mature companies that go through audit and they're also paying us a SaaS license, but they're they're not looking for you know kind of a monthly license. They're looking for a three year relationship with the software, and that's also a really good good area to play. So
0: that that's where we play somewhere in between. Now we're in a recession. There's no doubt about that. We're coming out of COVID. Are you seeing that the recession is sparking investors to reevaluate where they're putting their funding, and why would fintech look good for? them? Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, Rob, I, you know you're you're in a. UK. So you can say recession, but I think there was some uh, controversy. But anyways, let's all agree that that the market's a little bit different than it was. Very
0: diplomatically put, Isaac. Yes, it? of
1: course. We of are course. an international
0: show after all.
1: Totally. And my condolences to you on on the Great Queen. So, Thank you. So Wonderful it's a, woman. It's a, yeah, definitely. And, and it's a, it's an interesting time right now. As it relates to how the recession impacts uh, venture capital investing, I, I suspect that in a bull market, a strong market, there's going to be a lot more momentum towards tools and software companies that help grow revenue, right? Sales and marketing tools. Obviously, everyone gets represented, but those ones, and also some consumer products that could scale quickly because there's more disposable income, Those are going to be overrepresented or even overvalued in the markets. When you switch to a recession, you start thinking about cost savings and cost effectiveness. And the CFO's mindset or the individual's mindset shifts to how much am I spending every year and even every month in some cases. And that's when financial and accounting software allows you to get visibility into your bottom line, which is very important. And it's less discretionary. So if you get a cool sales tool that helps you, I don't know, put widgets or avatars while you're on a Zoom call and a sales call, that might be discretionary. But if you've got a tool like our software, Trulian, which helps deliver monthly journal entries for your 100% required compliance exercise, that's going to be a lot more, so to speak, recession proof than some of the other tools.
0: I got it. It's clear that fintech can help companies flourish during these challenging times. You you
1: want to have both, right? You want to have the, the revenue producing products and you want to have the operational efficiency products. The question is, how much can they move the needle? And if the market slows down, your revenue producing product is not going to swing things as much as it used to be when so many people are out there buying. And so you turn your hat to the operational products and say, well, how can I how can I move the needle in this company?
0: I'm just thinking of our premiership and the football. Isaac, footballers are paid more and more. And you think, is there ever a ceiling on this? We're paying the millions every week to go out there on the park and and play. Is there a ceiling to the amount of money coming into fintech and accounting as multiples grow?
1: I would argue that we, we hit our ceiling. We've hit it. Okay, that's good. And this is my napkin exercise. But if you add up all the money that's flown into... Let's let's just call venture capital for a second. Private equity is a lot broader. If you look at all the money that was invested in 2021 into private by venture capital into these spaces, and then you add up all the spending pools that companies have to spend on that money or individuals have to spend on that money, I would guess that it's mismatched. And what happens when the venture capital scene explodes into the, the global sphere is you have someone investing in a ride hailing app in US, someone investing one in Russia, someone investing a, a, in Australia, and all of their theses are about world domination, right? Same with same with um, food delivery, right? And it also goes to common fintech apps like expense management. There's some very well-funded players in that. Is there room for three or four players? I don't know. Look at um, remote hiring. There's three or four very well-funded players. At the end of the day, those guys all have the same winner-takes-all thesis at the end of their financial model. And so something's going to have to give.
0: investors actually looking to invest in companies that provide that kind of data that drives better business decisions more so than before. That's a key part of it, isn't it? Look, at the end of the day, VC and even private equity are
1: emotional industries, right? They're more emotional than your average public market investors, very, very focused on on models and metrics. Obviously, metrics are important in, in VC and PE, But you genuinely want to believe that this company could just be the next greatest thing and they'll grow into their valuation. And if they keep growing, we'll figure out the rest later. I mean, that's really the mentality and you convince yourself. Um, Realistically, the fundamentals of business never changed. Um, You need to be profitable. You need to have more money coming in than coming out. And so your goal, whether it's now or at some point in 10, 15, 20 years, needs to be to get to that basic point where you're taking more in, than than taking out, you need to reward your shareholders. You need to pay employees. You need to be fair with everyone, but that comes from a proper income and making better business decisions. I, ideally, and and look, that's the funny thing is, you know that we go back to the first thing we talked about. Companies get taken private. The private equity is thinking, is thinking we can make better business decisions if we're private, not public, because public has a different scrutiny. Now you have all these private companies that have had free reign because they had venture or private capital that are seemingly overvalued in the private markets. So you're seeing the tension swing back between public and private markets, which is a better place to make better business decisions. I should
0: dwell on that for a moment, Isaac. Share with us some of the distinctions between uh, public and private. Well, um, the the main thing is you've got
1: a giant spotlight on you if you're a public company. And if you're a private company, you can hide backstage, right? When it comes to accounting, you are filing quarterly and everything is exposed quantitatively. Um, You have a lot more investment internally around controls like SOCs. in the in the future world, you're going to be adding a lot of more qualitative um, metrics around your business, like diversity, inclusion, ESG, which is environmental. So you have to invest a lot more into kind of how your business is portrayed. Previously it was financially, but now it's also almost like qualitatively. If you're in a private company, you basically have free reign. Your shareholders are your, 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 your handful of investors, right? Um, it's a completely... Different world. You um, are responsible for filing all of these issues and, and pluses and minuses in, in centralized systems for the records. Um, you know, it's it's two different worlds. I
0: was fascinated to hear you say that private equity and venture capital people, when looking to invest, are, are emotional as much as all about the measurement and the objectives. And I thought that shopping like that was for the demand of people like my wife that make decisions emotionally and justify them later logically. But with the big money, they're all about the numbers and crunching and making it all about the data. But as you said, they're looking for the next big thing, the next shiny new object, just like everybody else.
1: You know, my wife has made some some purchases and they might have been impulsive, but she's also made some purchases. And in retrospect, you know, heck, that was the best uh, coffee mug you could have ever gotten. Right. And so it's so, you know, it's so fun to go into these things as an investor and really believe that this company could be the next great one. And, you know, I sit in the, I sit in the boardrooms, you know, I, I, I'm lucky to be part of that conversation and hear what the investors say. And there's a very different emotional conversation when you're coming out of a good quarter than when you're, you're coming out of a bad one. And on these, on these venture journeys that have these Series A, Series B, Series C type um, demarcations, I have friends who are the hottest company in the world. And then Series C, things change. You know, I have friends that struggle at series A, series B, and then all of a sudden, 10, 15 years later, they might be an IPO-ready company, right? So there's all sorts of of emotional ups and
0: downs, but everyone
1: starts with the same, you know, dream.
0: You peppered this interview with some... Nice little snippets of venture capital, P money, investing in fintech and data that has worked. Just talk to us a little bit more about some of those success stories in this one. In terms
1: of companies and and venture-backed companies, you know, I would say Build.com is a really good success story of a, of a fintech accounting company that's gone to the IPO, performed really well in the public markets, and even kind of acquired another strong or early stage accounting company called Divi. Why did it work? From a venture capital perspective, the reason that these companies work is because they have very, very innovative um, ideas and solutions, the timing is really good, but they are purely limited by capital. And so the venture capitalist is willing to take the risk that it will work, and so they could simply scale faster. And there's a lot of companies that, you know, you'll find out about five years later, And you'll say, I wish I had this five years ago, but I can guarantee that it's a very, very similar product to what it was five years ago when the early companies were adopting in San Francisco or Tel Aviv or New York, right? That's what venture capital does. You've got external
0: investment in Julian, Isaac. Why did they do that? What have they seen in what you guys are doing to make it value creative for them?
1: (laughs) Well, I ask them every day, but look, (laughs) you know, let's let's talk through it. We've got investors like Graycroft, which is a fantastic U.S. and also global firm. We've got Aleph, which is a a Tel Aviv-based Israeli venture capital firm, very focused on early stage. And then we've got Third Point, which interesting is a $20 billion hedge fund that has an, an arm, a venture arm that's investing in earlier stage companies. And each of them have different objectives. I won't speak for each of them, but one of them might view the financial software world is largely on-prem. So over 50% of these, these large companies still have on-prem systems. So there's still gonna be a lot of cloud penetration into the market to get these people into cloud-based software. Um, another one might be purely focused on the macro picture, pure big picture. They see things like Wirecard, fraud happens. I've got companies that are struggling with their finances. It feels cumbersome. It feels like the gap between what should be delivered and what is being delivered is big. So I just want to think about this market. I've got a 15-year horizon with a relationship with a group, and I want to put a check in, right? And another one might think we're a really good financial profile. You know, we also have uh, a lot of customers and a lot of, you know, thank God, a lot of revenue at this point. And they they genuinely believe that we're going to get some good returns for them. So there's all types of different theses um, in our
0: company and others. You didn't mention that one of them might be looking for great leadership and great people, but I'm sure you've got that box ticked.
1: <laughs> well, no, I, I appreciate it. I mean, look, the, the Aleph, which is the one that's, that's local in Israel, we've got, you know, our, our genesis was in New York, and now we've got a really, really strong team in Israel. My partner, co-founder is there. I was actually introduced to him through our venture firm. So in addition to, add, uh, to adding value, um, you know, in terms of the investment and the capital, We were introduced to a lot of our early employees and leaders by these uh, venture capital firms right our brand Trulian was aided by these these venture capital firms there's a lot of interest in the leadership and the team building
0: and as you were telling me about the different players there i was wondering if it would make uh, an external investor more likely to come to your table if there are already investors involved or would that put them off because it's going to create conflicts or different agendas or priorities for you growing that company? Yeah.
1: That, by the way, that's a big question, Rob, because um, I think that the single biggest question is, is what's, what's the valuation, right? What's the valuation? I, I, I might want something very nice at the store, but I'm not willing to pay that price. And, and ultimately when it comes to M&A um, or IPOs, right? Someone investing in a company is, is what's the price and do I think the value reflects the amount of future revenue or cash flows that this company can produce. And I, I think that any company is fine. Companies don't care who the investors are necessarily. They like the validation of the top investors, but they might not care as long as the EBITDA is good or as long as the top line revenue is good and it can help and be synergistic with their company. So I think
0: that's what it comes down to. So you're talking there about what investors are specifically looking for in a fintech company before they decide to put their money in? So I was thinking more on the M&A side. So with
1: when you exit and you look at acquiring VCs, when they look at a fintech company, um, well, let's go back to our buckets. In the early stages, their, their valuation is going to be based on a little bit of early traction and a handful of super happy early adopter customers and some revenue, right? And this huge vision from founders or or early team members. And they're going to place valuation support off of that excitement and that vision at the seed, series A, series B stage. When you get into the series C, D, E, and growth equity stage, valuation is based on metrics. Um, Good leaders can get a little bit more valuation, but um, you've got to really show a path to the 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 liquidity, the public markets, and M
0: and A or, or profitability. And I've had some accounting firms going into fintech, producing their own software, bringing out their own IP, and, and trying to get into more of the SaaS side of things. Yeah, for
1: better or worse, the accounting firms have been building technology for a while, right? Um, and and by the way, building a a macro Excel that you can give to your clients is also technology. Technology is a solution a service is also a solution. Um, I think that the big four especially has learned that building technology is harder than um, maybe they anticipated. So they're world-class services organizations, but building tech, building AI, building these complex uh, features and modules is extremely hard. I think you're starting to see the, the big four, if you go look at the announcements from EY, KPMG, and others, they're starting to hedge where they have their internal tools, but they're also working a lot more with third parties. And I think that's going to be much,
0: much better for the industry. It's a fascinating conversation, Isaac. So much has come out here. A lot of our listeners on the show, uh, not just the accounting professionals themselves, but the fintech industry and ecosystem that serves them and sells to and through them. So uh, we're going to put your details of Julian and your contact details in the show notes. But to finish, let's look at the future now and uh, what is coming up. For the fintech world, particularly with uh, venture capital and uh, PE money, well, it's hot. Okay, so
1: a lot of people call it the office of the CFO. Some people just call it audit and accounting technology, and it's very, very hot. Um, I think partially because it was overlooked the past few years in the in the bull market focused on revenue uh, type softwares but it's very, very popular right now. You've seen some activity. Um, In the future, it's just going to continue to be popular because I think it's a lot more, let's call it practical and pragmatic use case for technology right now. There is a lot of manual processes. There are a lot of um, silos. There are a lot of contracts in Excel being read. Doesn't mean they should go away, but it means they should be integrated in some sort of smooth software workflow. It's an interesting
0: world. That is a killer. Thank you so much for your passion and your insights today. That's been All
1: right. Good nice to see you, Rob. Thank you.
0: Accounting Influencers Broadcast Network presents Influencers in Accounting, brought to you by Advanced Track, your access to world-class accounting leaders global influencers and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world class. thank you for listening to this new talent in accounting podcast this is a relatively new show but already has over a thousand listeners so we appreciate you tuning in and sharing the show with your connections if you have a potentially good guest you'd like to see on the show with some great insights on talent reach out to me on linkedin with a message and we'll follow them up and as we build this show up we're looking for a couple of sponsors for whom talent and the accounting finance space is important. Loads of great opportunities to get your brand out there and show your key messages and even get some of your own guests on the show. Again, drop me a message on LinkedIn to tee up that conversation. And for great podcast content elsewhere, make sure you subscribe to our main show, Accounting Influencers, goes out every Monday. And join the 40,000 listeners in 150 countries for brilliant interviews with the top leaders, experts, and influencers in the accounting and fintech world. Finally, why don't you join us and our community with some conversations at our next virtual speed networking session. These are now taking place every two months for accounting, finance, and tech professionals. 75 minutes of speed dating, great discussions, raising your personal profile, making new connections. Go to accountinginfluencers.com to register your free place for our next event. Thanks for tuning in, have a great day.